0: Welcome back to another episode of the Green Section podcast series. I'm your host, Adam Miller, USG agronomist and director of the education program. In this episode, we talk with Ross Miller, superintendent at the Country Club of Detroit, and really focus all about communication. Effective communication is, is crucial. It, it helps educate golfers decision makers, uh, building relationships with everyone on your team, uh, and then obviously diffuse, you know, when problems arise, it's really important to effectively communicate. So we talked to Ross about the new strategies he's been using to communicate at his facility and why he thinks those have really helped them become more successful as a golf course. Here's the conversation with Ross. Ross, thanks for taking the time to join us. You're fairly well known in the turf world, but you know, for those who aren't familiar, give us a quick bio, you know, sort of your journey in the industry so far and a little bit about uh, the Country Club of Detroit.
1: Sure. Born and raised small town Northwest Ohio, Fort Jennings, a uh, small town of about 450 people. Grew up in agriculture in a little non-traditional format. Uh, my mother's family. Had a large apiary farm, beekeeping farm in uh, Western Ohio. And my father's side of the family were the, one of the initial investors in a small nine hole course. It's now 18 holes Delphi's Country Club. So I grew up starting to work there at age 13, 14 years old and fell in love with the work and the variation of work. Ended up going to Penn State, graduating with a bachelor's degree in turf science from there. Uh, along the way, worked in another course in northwest ohio close to where i grew up uh, in Lima, ohio shawnee country club for three years and uh, did an internship spent time at double eagle club down in columbus ohio working for uh, who i consider my uh, chief mentor todd boss and then from there spent a year after graduation up at sylvania country club in toledo and moved out to the east coast to a uh, 36-hole property that was then called Lowe's Island Club, which is now known as Trump National Washington, D.C., and spent a total of uh, nine years out there, uh, four of which were with the Trump Organization, and had the good fortune from Trump National, D.C. being offered the position, superintendent position here at Country Club of Detroit, and been here, started my ninth season now.
0: So I think you're the fourth guest in a row, actually, that we've had on that's a, a Penn Stater, so that's... You know, it'll be interesting to see if we get any feedback there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot of you guys, so that's awesome. Uh, Also, I thought it was cool. Really, you've got sort of beekeeping, you know, in your in your family. With um, you said, it was your your mom, I think, who was involved. So, do you got that going on in the golf course?
1: Yes, uh, yes, we do. We've had actually uh, our executive chef was pushing that uh, um, initially when I started here, Uh, and we have since layered it in uh there's actually um uh we had been doing it in-house and then we're now looking at uh outsourcing with a, a local firm that's uh building up a lot of a lot of resources with local um environmental groups as well as with uh local restaurants in regards to uh beekeeping uh in urban areas it is, it is a part of a fabric of our uh culture here at CCD
0: in addition to everything that you you do you know day in and day out on the golf course i think one of the things that you're most known for and what I'm excited to talk to you about today is, is really your communication and leadership skills. So talk a little bit about your sort of facility wide communication strategy, how you include employees, you know, the course leadership and the golfers in that strategy, really to keep everyone informed about what's going on maintenance wise.
1: So our... Communication, I guess I would say strategy, plan of attack, whatever you want to call it, is uh, a heavily, I I would call it a vertically integrated approach with uh, staff members, seasonal staff, full-time staff, mid-level managers, senior directors at the club, as well as uh, committee members, uh, golf committee, greens committee, and, and board members here. So our base, uh, simple thing that we start with every single day here is what we send out, myself or either one of my assistants, uh, Jack uh, Tomasma or Jarrett Weirich. Uh One of the three of us sends out uh, what we call our course conditions email. That entails, okay, we're uh, yesterday, hopefully until October was the last frost delay for the year, but entails any frost delay items as well as then layers in we what we call items of note. So outlining any special projects, uh, drainage project on the course, uh, irrigation leak that's being repaired on for Fairway. Uh, all of those items uh, are on this email, uh, as well as top dressing, any cultural practices, anything out of normal daily mowing uh, course prep items. That is sent to every single manager at the entire club. So a total of about 30 to 35 people. Uh, in all, so that uh, any line meetings with uh, culinary team, with golf operations team, with golf services team, with uh, wait staff, uh, this is disseminated at morning and midday breakdowns with their entire teams so that if there is a question or a comment that is heard from a member dining or at the bar or what have you, uh, that it can be addressed in a proactive manner. Uh, hey, actually, I heard you uh, talking about uh, wondering what was going on out there on Four Fairway. There was actually an irrigation leak out there that they were um, uh, addressing uh, and having back in full operational mode by about three o'clock today. Which takes members back at first, but at the same time, now they've grown very accustomed to it. So now it's it's a it's a positive interaction instead of a a negative. Connotation. It's more a question. Hey, what's what's going on now on the course? What are you doing out there? Oh, okay, I see. That's that's good. I see what you're doing there. What's what's next on your agenda? So it it allows us to lead the operational pieces to to do what needs to be done agronomically, um, and that also layers in with. Uh, that email also goes out to every single greens committee member, golf committee member, and um, board of, the entire board of directors of the club as well, so that they have that information and they can further be vessels of communication with their fellow uh, members and golfers that they play with.
0: It's really cool, Ross. I, I like how you're you're so proactive about the communication. I think that's really important. I actually recently read a book called uh, Outliers by by Malcolm Gladwell and. One of the things he outlined in the book was just sort of different, different cultures, different people communicate, and you know, in in our culture, it really seems like the burden is on us, like as a communicator, we can't leave you know a lot of room for interpretation. Like we need to be, you know, very active about what we want people to to know. Um, so it seems like you really uh, you really get into that.
1: We definitely do because we see we see it as an opportunity, one, to be transparent with our membership, as well as it allows us to to lead the dialogue. The simple term we always use with our membership is that the golf course is a cathedral. It's, it's never finished. We are always going to be doing things to improve and better the course. The more we communicate with those, the more membership gives us, uh, for lack of a better term, the leeway to continue to peel back the layers of the onion.
0: A couple of years ago, you helped us with an article on communication and mentioned that a really cool story, and you kind of alluded to it before, how in this case, a restaurant staff person overheard some golfers that you know, had frustrations or, or complaints or whatever it might have been, and, but because they had the information as to what was going on, they jumped in you know, with the, the course info. Um, and that really eased the, the golfer's concerns. So it really seems like taking the time to get to know everyone at the facility and educate them on you know what you do sounds well worth the effort.
1: Absolutely, Adam. It's, uh, it's a very unique situation here where every single department here, it's a very cohesive mentality. Everyone understands that every piece of the puzzle is very important to our daily success, uh, our yearly success, and our long-term success and uh, trust and um, uh, progress with the membership uh, to continue to uh, offer them an an exceptionally world-class experience and their guests on a daily basis. So. Uh, those those interactions, especially with some of our long tenured members, it's it, those interactions from my first couple of years. It's really helped change the dialogue from one that could be a, a conversation that could be a little bit tense to a, a much more cohesive and productive conversation. Getting down to the why of things, and someone not just hearing you, but someone listening, and really understanding what what's going on in the, the process, uh, that it's, it's going to help things with, uh, out on the
0: property. It can be really tough to, you know, set aside time to talk to, to as many people as you need to talk to in a given day. When you think about, you know, you're just, you're constantly putting out fires or just having to adjust on the fly with whatever is going on on the golf course. How have you found success keeping golfers and decision makers sort of, you know, regularly informed? You mentioned the email, but what else, you know, what other tools are you using to keep them informed?
1: We utilize traditional platforms uh, in the the locker rooms and at the first tee we have postings there when there's special items going on or something different than the membership hasn't seen. A perfect example was Uh, when we were sand injection grading and greens. The membership here had never seen that, never heard of it. So that was something we had to be proactive with. And instead of people being shocked, they they understood it. Uh, We used those uh, forms. I'm a big one on uh, taking the time to be there and, and members see us especially when there's challenging times I make sure at least three to four days a week I stop in there for 15 20 minutes a day and stop and talk with members if they have any questions I'm there to answer any questions they may have as well as the club as a whole we have a, a vessel that we we call Saturday morning breakfast uh, it's a small uh, kind of buffet breakfast that the the club has and and um, A good chunk of the members come every Saturday morning. They have their breakfast. Those that go to tee off, they tee off. Those that don't, uh, they're sitting there and chatting and whatnot. And ourselves as department heads, uh, four or five of us, as well as our COO, Craig, uh, we we will stop in there for a period of time every Saturday, too, to uh, answer any questions that members may have or 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 any discussion pieces that they may want to discuss. So we utilize those forms of communication um, as well as we have a communications director here now at the club that we have weekly e-blasts that go out. We call the weekender that highlights everything with every department uh, going on, as well as when there's possibly some uh, construction going on, that there's a, uh, a vehicle for members to see what's going on, who's, the progress things like that those the, there's kind of an opportunity there for members to take a look at things in addition to what we communicate out
0: you touched on it earlier a little bit i think in respect to that sort of that saturday morning breakfast i, I think it a part of that's listening and listening is an extremely like active activity it's not a passive activity it's hard for us to to listen really intently especially at different times you know, to golfers when they've got you know some some negative feedback, you know, or things like you know, why are the greens rolling slower today? So, how do you handle golfer feedback? You know, listening to golfers, especially when it's negative, and then how do you turn that into you know a positive?
1: I think it's a multi layers uh, in in that uh, you, you hit the key word. I I I think I, I taking a step back is really clarifying to what you're saying, Adam is not just hearing someone, but truly delving in and listening and listening to the entirety of what they're saying before you develop an answer or a a comment in regards to it so that we don't come off abrasive or anything like that. I guess how I've learned through it, and a lot of it was learned, uh, through Todd, uh, Todd was very, very big on communication and us, uh, as interns, there really delving into the communication, and in that you you can never communicate enough, and and active listening to what you said. So, how I tend to personally, and this is just me personally, how I tend to attack those situations is first and foremost is truly listening to what the comment or concern is. Say, like you brought up green speeds, a uh, perfect example. So, okay, say. Uh, Joe Schmo says something to me about the green speeds today why were they slower than they were two days ago there's a perfectly logical answer to that uh, uh, the the reason is one uh the temperatures have uh escalated we're we're sitting at ninety five degrees and we're gonna be in the mid to late the mid to upper 90s for the next four to five days uh we have to play defense and the the term I like to use in that kind of situation not just carte thing, and things, say, look, this is, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. Our, our first endeavor at all costs is to protect the property. And if that means we have to back off on green speeds for a day or two to ease turf stress, then that's what we do. Um, and go through the, the who, what, when, or why. Hey, because the heat is up, because humidity is up, our, our soil moisture levels are high. So we have to back off of things. This is, can be a very, very crucial time frame for us doing things right as far as agronomic health, not just now for today, but more so one month, two months, three months down the road that could have highly adverse effects. And explain that to them. That's the process that we go through. And if there's any financial ramifications or time frame ramifications to things, we explain those as well. And that that is that is proven at least in our situation here to be uh, very worthwhile in, in regards to positive uh, interactions and relationships with members and and guests of members.
0: Let's talk about you know working with your your COO. Uh, you've obviously done a good job of developing open lines communication throughout the whole facility. And and no doubt that's helped with the overall culture. I think the relationship with the the GM or the COO, you know, that doesn't always come naturally. It sometimes there's friction there, but it's critically important. So what are some ways that you can think of that have helped you sort of make things click with uh, with Craig, your COO? Uh, it's a it's a
1: very very good question because it it's a it's a unique setup here. Craig was general manager, uh, COO when I was when I was hired on, so I've been very fortunate to work with the same COO in my time here. Craig is not a golfer, but he is very very intuitive and very common sense in his approach to things. To okay, this is going on. Why is this going on uh, when there's challenges or hey? You need this to do this. Why do you need to do this? And marching through those things. And more of a common sense, I guess I would say a deductive reasoning based approach. It has been proved very, very fruitful in our relationship. Now, it's, it's also, we're, I'm very, very fortunate. Craig and I can have some very tough discussions and, and very thorough discussions with anything and everything. And its it all comes down to working on the business of operating the club for the enjoyment of the members Versus just working in the business of operating the club. I guess, I guess that's how I would, I would phrase it. So we, we focus on how do we continue to improve things? Okay, uh, can we accomplish those within financial means? Or if we can't, what do we need to do to be able to pull those levers correctly for the financial well-being of the club, as well as for the golf course-wise, for the playability purposes of the club and in communicating those across the line.
0: Switching gears a little, let's talk about how you've handled things in your department, you know, with, with COVID, obviously creating a ton of challenges with labor. But it, it seems like from the outside, you've really taken advantage of that, listened to what your staff has had to say and, and, and restructured work schedules in the way that you do some things. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So we, as a present, we, we run uh, what we, we call it here, we call it a split crew system. Half the team has Sunday-Monday off, half the team has uh, Friday-Saturday off. So everyone gets two days off a week. We have a number of layers. We have employees that work 40 hours a week. We have employees that work 20 hours a week. Uh, we have employees that work 25 hours a week. We have a very big mix and match uh, in regards to that. Uh, we also have some employees that their day's off, they want they want to come in, they want to get some overtime, and that's perfectly fine as well. But what we created that originally out of necessity for social distancing, for spacing employees out uh, when um, COVID challenges initially rose in early 2020. We've since adapted that due to uh, a drastic reduction in Um, Obviously, overtime costs, even though our number of employees has dramatically gone up. So we have brute horsepower every single morning to do anything and everything necessary. Also, we went about this uh, just to uh, a key challenge for us. And I know it's a challenge with many operations around the country and in many facets uh, of uh, business is Attendance and uh, tardiness, those have dramatically reduced with this schedule um, and uh, the flexibility within that. Some employees working six to 11, grabbing lunch here at the club and then heading home or, you know, a a gentleman we have on staff now, a firefighter. So he knows what his work schedule is all year, but he can work two eight hour days a week and then one other or two other um, four hour days a week that's fine. The challenge in lies with, uh, again, back to the communication facet with uh, our assistants, Jack and Jarek, layering in and really being extremely organized in delving out, uh, building out work schedules on a daily basis with this. It's, it's proved extremely fruitful for us. We have been exceptionally more efficient with our work around the property, as well as uh, project management. We've been able to develop uh, two to three more project leaders within our team, which has been a huge, huge benefit for us as well. All those facets combined, uh, we're continuing to tweak and improve them uh, where we see need to, as well as getting feedback from our staff. Again, back to the active listening, getting uh, feedback from them, what they see works, where they have questions with, and we go from there.
0: It's really cool to hear all that. So you attribute a lot of your success to, you know, fellow Penn Staters, you mentioned Todd Voss. Uh, I know Brad, uh, Eenie is another, uh, another mentor of yours. Uh, the agronomic part obviously can, can seem like the easy uh, side of the business. Um, you know, good mentors, they're super important, you know, in the learning side of the job. So what did, you know, what do you think the most important things you learned from those guys? And then what are you instilling in your own staff now that, you know, you you've taken on that mentor role?
1: I think the chief thing, uh, I go back to with Todd, the chief thing that I learned was uh, communication is everything. Learned that, reiterated that uh, in the D.C. When I first moved to the D.C. area, meeting up with uh, volunteering at the AT&T National. When Mike Giuffre was at Congressional, he he always had the had the term that once you think you've communicated enough, uh, start all over and and do it all over again with in regards to comms with members. Brad brought a very keen sense of working together towards common goals and getting a team very, very cohesive uh, in regards to our assistants, um, just our entire team. uh, And that, that that was a key thing. He placed a lot on us there at Trump while we we were renovating two courses in 2010. Probably the worst economic time in the last 90 years. We were blessed to be able to be doing that. So he gave us a lot of leeway to learn. And those are some of the key things that I I really enjoyed with having with our assistants here. Uh, And both of them, they both reiterated the point that like, look, you're not you may not agree with every decision that goes on here, but we we are a cohesive team. We speak from the same hymnal. And, and when you go out on your own, you can change some things as you see fit. Like I said, Todd and Brad, uh, I consider two of my mentors. Uh, we do things vastly different from them, vastly different. But one of the beautiful things in our industry, there's a million ways to skin the cat. Two of our previous assistants that are now in Head and director roles, uh, Kevin Peck and Tim Matty, same thing. They do things vastly different, and I applaud them for it. And they both have uh, exceptional positions with very big challenges on their on their plates and very rewarding positions. The core concept that we try to instill with our um, our assistants here and uh, equipment managers is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, we work very very hard to put our assistants in different uh, unfamiliar positions so that they, when those position situations arise, when they become head superintendents, that they're comfortable. They know how to react. They know how to handle them in a, in a very professional, strong manner that builds trust from not only their fellow co-workers and their teams, but also their memberships or clients as well. So all of those factors together, I think, are a key component. Uh, One of the things I think that really helps our assistants as well is they do all our Greens Committee presentations here. So it puts them in that boardroom setting that is not familiar to them at all. So it gets them comfortable with extremely intelligent men and women at the club and how to handle uh, challenging questions. So all those factors together, I think, uh, help uh, prepare all of our staff here. And what I've learned, I feel personally, has been very beneficial from where I've come through the ranks.
0: Thanks. That's a, a really great summary, and yeah, definitely a, a tough question to just sort of try to nail down some of those. So I thought that was uh, really well said, and really like the the approach, especially you know, kind of instilling, hey, there's there's a million ways to skin this cat. You know, getting yourself uncomfortable, you learn an awful lot. You know, in in that setting. So uh, good stuff there. Switching gears to you know, kind of a, a current uh, current situation with the industry. And the amount of renovation work that's taking place now is, is just crazy. Um, you've worked with Renaissance Golf Design and Brian Slanek uh, at at your course. You know, let's let's talk about communication there. What do you think are some of the keys to uh, you know successful renovation from a communication standpoint between you, the architects, you know, their team, the you know construction team. Uh, and then, kind of, you know, the the course decision makers. You know, you've got to be talking to to all those folks at the same time. So, what do you think the key to success there is from a communication standpoint?
1: There's a great deal of layers with that, and I think it varies between architecture firms that exceptional architecture firms, Fazio, Nicholas Design, Palmer Design, Art Art Hills, or design that are. Uh, architects versus like renaissance design core crenshaw that are design build firms there's there's different layers uh ways that things need to be communicated but the core with architects to your point they're so busy right now the more information that can be given to them in full transparency the more efficient they can be with building out plans accordingly. Information in regards to not only just the, the land and the agronomics, but what is what is their client envisioning? What does their client want to see out of XYZ project? Those are key things that can also lead into, okay, we can go into this. Okay, what is their budget for this? What financials are we looking at? Because you, know, you could end up designing out the Taj Mahal, but then you're building out for a shack budget. There's a disconnect there that all that transparency needs to be there. Uh, so that's one part of it. Cohesively from from the get go is coordinating architects, construction firms, uh, decision makers at the club, and um, like say uh, something that happened here prior to my arrival was a renovation oversight committee. So having that committee understand who, what, when, or why, timely updates, a lot of the things. I think that have been very beneficial. Uh, a lot of counterparts is doing like weekly drone updates uh, or a e-blast in regards to all those items. And then while a project's going on, a few timely kind of uh, ride-arounds on the course. Pete Went did an exceptional job of all of these at Congressional. They're a massive renovation. So did right across town here, Phil Kafari over at Oakland Hills. Uh, they did an exceptional job communicating a lot. And to get the projects to fruition was a great deal of work. Being transparent with members in regards to, okay, here was the building blocks given to us for the why. This has been approved and keeping members up to date with who, what, when, or why. Because we all know construction projects, something's going to go sideways at one time or another. It's how we handle it that's going to define the success of the project and the member enjoyment of it.
0: Ross, I want to get you out of here with one last question. Uh, During the prep for having you on the podcast, we came across a blog you wrote in 2011, really predicting the evolution of superintendents' roles over the next 10 years. And I'd love to have your crystal ball because you absolutely nailed it uh, in in that prediction, Uh, especially with how communication really has become more and more important. And since you nailed it then, I've got to ask, you know, how do you see communication and the superintendent's role in general evolving for the next 10 years?
1: <laughs> You're scaring me here a little bit, Adam.
0: <laughs> we, we Got to get you uncomfortable, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. You did.
0: This is good. I like it. That is a good
1: question. Uh, I think the technology aspect, uh, I mean, look at us right now. We're doing a podcast. I mean, no one talked about that 10 years ago. I think the technology aspect where technology in maintaining courses and more so the technology basis with staff training is going to be a huge, huge part of successful operations because labor labor challenges are not gonna go away. They are not going to go away, but we have to be innovative in how how we successfully staff our operations. You know, Tyler Bloom's been a big big spearhead for apprenticeship programs. And like I saw last week, Eastlake uh, being a spearhead for equipment manager apprenticeship programs. These are going to be huge success parts for the the more department leader type aspects. All in all, I think the technology aspect is going to be pushed through and through uh, with Uh, One thing we've been looking at uh, integrating in is full soil testing to create variable rate uh, fertility programs. Uh, much the similar, what's been out in agriculture for years now, as well as site specific like drone spray applicators. Just not that I'm a big technology person, but I think it's it's coming, and I think the more we can be open to listening to what it can do and where are the efficiencies that it can help create in our operations, I think the better off we are going to be.
0: Awesome, appreciate the uh, putting yourself out there. In in ten years, we'll have to look this up and see if you <laughs> you nailed it again.
1: Might be falling on my face there.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon, man.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Adam.
0: Thanks for listening to the USGA Green Section podcast. Be sure to subscribe, listen, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also keep up with the latest content on Twitter and by subscribing to the Green Section record, our digital publication that's published twice a month.